like if you're a wheelchair user and you can't really access buildings any other way and you literally cannot get into a venue because there are steps there and no ramp then like how are you going to make your voice heard in a space where people are like what are the things that we need for this climate justice program those kinds of things happen all the time so that cannot be overestimated Why with Arcia Tecun? I am Samoan from the villages of Satanaposafutu and Danganga on my mother's side. And then on my dad's side, I am Han Chinese and Ashkenazi Jewish by way of the Philippines and Charcel Island. I was born in London, which makes me London-born Samoan, and I have been living in Aotearoa, New Zealand for the past almost 11 years. I am on here to talk about mainly kind of my master's thesis research, which was about Basvika, specifically Toi Basvika, climate activist, music and performance and the kind of internal hierarchies and oppressions and struggles for power that happen in that space. I am autistic and dyspraxic, so that kind of falls into the wider umbrella of disability, which is a term that I claim, and there are lots of politics around that. I am able-bodied, I'm sighted, I'm hearing, I don't use a wheelchair, and I am also Fatama, so that's kind of like a Samoan gender category. I don't use the term third gender for various reasons. It can kind of be interpreted as non-binary and or queer and or trans, depending upon how people frame it. You're looking at all these things and how they play out, particularly within climate justice, activism and performing arts that are used in those events. What was it that intrigued you to say, OK, there, there's other stuff I want to look at in, in this realm? So one of the reasons I got involved in this is because I think that climate justice is critical, like we will die if we don't achieve it. Secondly, I spent a lot of time kind of like around various activist groups, some of them kind of focusing solely on climate justice, some of them focusing more kind of explicitly on indigenous self-determination with kind of climate justice as an aspect of that and then also demilitarization anti-nuclear other aspects as well and this kind of arose out of just me and my friends going on rants to each other about like we like this movement or we think these aims are good but we disagree with the ways in which they're being implemented and in terms of like which people get the power to say what and do what about and to particular communities as well. So, yeah. Maybe we can um, unpack this. This is a big term, right? But you use it in, in your research yep. of Pacific queer disabled. Yeah. <laughs> and if you have any initial thoughts as to like that, why that term, but then let's maybe break it down. So the reason why I use the term, and again, I think a lot, of language is not solely but is in part or in some ways kind of like 
methods of convenience like it's never going to be like or represent like the perfect kind of correlation between like what you're referring to and what you're saying necessarily but then also I wanted to refer to Pacific indigeneity and queerness with an ed and um disabledness and or disability all at the same time because of what very often happens which is something that we're going to talk about um in terms of if you refer to a particular group um then the people who are most privileged have the most power in that group will kind of become the default and that shows up in terms of representation in terms of imagery in terms of people's imaginations so if you say like the pacific community most people will only really be talking about straight cis non-disabled perisex people who are probably Christian, who are probably of a particular social class, who are probably, who've probably had particular experiences, probably have particular political ideologies, and then anything outside of that. It doesn't mean that you don't belong to the community, but it's not what people first think of. And the reason why this is important is because in terms of health services, in terms of language revitalization, if you're not catering to particular communities, especially multiply marginalized ones, very often those needs and perspectives do not get represented or seen to. Right, so now you, you threw out a word in there that I think might be less familiar for some folks. Um, perisex, do you mind uh, defining that one a bit? So in terms of like sex in terms of how bodily characteristics are defined most people think in terms of like female and male but then also there are people with bodies that kind of exist beyond the confines of straightforwardly female and straightforwardly male and there have been lots of debates in lots of different communities about what the term should be um, to describe people who are not intersex. And it obviously can't be normal because that reinforces othering. One person or I think a group of people have kind of like talked about endosex. But I think there are various reasons why that didn't get kind of more widely adopted. Perisex is something that I've decided to use based on people's reasoning that I've kind of read and kind of been exposed to in terms of that being probably the word that does the least harm and kind of acknowledges the privilege of people who aren't intersex the most. Um, in terms of the acknowledgement that what counts as male, what counts as female, what counts as intersex are in large part kind of products of biomedical oppression and social construction of like what counts as a normal body and what doesn't there's so much more we're going to get into <laughs> do you want to say anything about the performances and stuff in regards to the the climate sites and how while those are important and very powerful how it might also you know give a certain representation of what is the pacific so the performances and these involve like dances songs chants hymns um, some poetry here and there, although I'd say probably the music is the thing that kind of gets amplified the most. Um, but then also even within that, there are like the clothes that people wear, the banners that people carry, the like signs that people choose to have on them as well, the venue, like which spaces people use to kind of inhabit and how they do that. These are used to mobilize in quotation marks, the Pacific community and I use mobilize for a particular reason because there is a lot about militarism and warriorhood 
and kind of battles and fighting and combat and conflict in these spaces um, that get presented in a number of different ways. Um, also, I think a point that you've made previously, um, thank you, is in terms of people using flags. Like, yes, flags can be used to represent nations, but the other kind of like, or not the other, but like one of the main genealogies of flags is like colonial claiming of land. Like this is this space and we claim it to provide these resources should have these politics, that kind of thing. In terms of mobilizing the communities, generally speaking, this is like the majority. So for example, you would use like Samoan hymns because it's kind of expected that most people in attendance will just be able to know that you can just kind of get most people to sing it without having to have lots of rehearsals prior. So, so part of this is to do with kind of convenience and ease. It's kind of like what will most people here know that we can just kind of do without having to have lots of preparation because most of the people attending these events do not have much time outside of like work outside of study outside of family commitments religious commitments other things to like go to rehearsals or like make things and other it's just kind of like a lot of these events are just kind of like people will throw things together on a day like some person might find a drum from somewhere else always oh, bring that in it's not necessarily this very like highly organized, planned, structured thing. And I think that is one of the things that I do quite like about these spaces, but also the fact that this is done obviously has costs, right? So like, if you only use Samoan hymns, then it's very much like a Samoan framing of what climate justice and climate action is that can exclude Ikiribas people, Tualuan people, um, West Papuan people, if they choose to be at these um, kind of marches and demonstrations, or even can be at these marches and demonstrations for various reasons. And then also, I kind of do and don't have a music background. So we were kind of analysing in this research the qualities and texture and structure of the music that's used and a lot of it tends to kind of use major chords the kind of the main ones if you're a musician you'll kind of know like what one four five is um so kind of like the main chords that you would kind of expect to hear in kind of like major keyed music and then also the harmonies tend to be stable the voice parts tend to move at the same time as opposed to having like different things going on at different times and I think and this is just my interpretation because other people can have lots of other different interpretations this is kind of meant to present an image of strength and stability and unity both to the people who are performing and the people who are kind of like interpreting and watching and listening to the performance. The issue is the costs that are incurred in order to achieve and present these particular kinds of unity because they often reprivilege people who already have lots of power and have the effect intended or not of erasing people who are multiply marginalized in terms of race, in terms of complexion, in terms of language, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of ability, um, in terms of gender sexuality, in terms of class, and like all of the further um, kind of community demographic intersections that you can think of. 
I know you wrote another article where you um, explain some of the issues with with third gender and kind of the history of how that's been used. Maybe talk a little bit about that and then what you'd like to say in regards to the Pacific queer positioning. So the queer with an ED on the end is something that I received from Kahala Johnson at his presentation at NISA, I think, in 2019. And he was talking about the ways in which Indigenous people who, through colonial frameworks, are categorised as trans and categorised as queer, are kind of marked as different and other and therefore like inferior and lesser so the reason why he uses ed on the end is to not only mark the ways in which kind of western white colonial systems categorize like normative and then abnormal gender sexuality um, but also to mark the people who are doing the queering and doing the othering so kind of turning the frame back on people who kind of perpetuate these kinds of violence and one of the ways in which that occurs in terms of kind of like how people have become queer also I should do like a side note as well this is not saying that like people who are like indigenous and gender sexuality divergent for lack of a better term um cannot claim queer or trans like lots of us do claim queer and trans but when that's different to having people categorize someone as queer and or transgender when that's not how they describe themselves, which is a different, particularly when that's coming from someone who has more gender sexuality privilege than they do. And it could kind of just like, it's too difficult to engage with this. So I'll just call you that. And that's fine, even if that's not what you actually are. So one of the ways in which kind of queered people become queered is through colonial anthropological framework. So there's this whole, like this phrase, third gender that has like this history within this space. And the whole way it came about, as far as I understand from like the text that I've engaged with thus far, is anthropologists arrived in various indigenous communities and they saw presentations of gender that didn't make sense to them through their own kind of binary understandings. And they were like, well, this person is not acting like and or doesn't look like a man. And this person isn't acting like and or like this person doesn't look like a woman. So they must be a third gender. And that's how that phrase was developed. So the whole history and genealogy and kind of purpose of this was to be like indigenous people have inferior methods of expressing and kind of like living and embodying gender. And we don't understand it. And because of that, it's wrong because it's not what we do. 
And so all of that kind of like perception and violence is baked into this phrase, which is why I choose not to use it. I have come across various people who do use it and usually end up having to do a kind of like correcting them kind of thing. Um, but then also I think I have also found people who are indigenous and gender sexuality divergent who don't know the words in their own languages and or communities that people use to describe themselves and end up kind of using this as something to kind of explain to people who they are because they don't really have any other language they can access. Like there, there are all these self-defining uh, kind of community-based ways of understanding a constellation of gender across the Moana or across Oceania. And that kind of maybe conflicts with, like you mentioned, this, this binary or this binarism or the assumption of one or the other. And if you don't fit within that, oh, then you must be third or outside of it. Do you mind giving a little bit of insight on that? So in terms of like talking to people, reading texts, that kind of thing, I think there are about 32 terms within the region that I'm currently aware of. And obviously there are much, much more than that because there are way more languages than that. And in terms of, for example, to take like the construction of Fafafine and Fatama, like the other aspect of kind of calling someone and or a community third gender is you have like the first gender, which is in quotation marks male, um, but also kind of added into this as well is that in this construction and or like in quotation marks, ideally the male is cisgender, is perisex, is straight and or act straight, which is like this whole other kind of uh, construction that I I'm not going to get into for the moment <laughs> um, is able-bodied is overall non-disabled and then you have the second gender which is women again kind of following the same kinds of it's not an intersection because it's kind of a conflation of privileges so I guess kind of like privileged assemblage to kind of draw on assemblage theory sorry I'm like going down a theory rabbit hole um, and then you have the third gender and the idea is that this community too in the ways that like men and women become homogenized through colonial frameworks of gender is just kind of one thing we'll just do one thing we'll present just one way but the issue with this at least in Samoan context is there are also Fatama and there are also Fa'afa who do not get talked about very much at all and there's a tendency to kind of just lump Fa'afine, Fa'atama and Fa'afa in together when we all have similarities and experiences but there are also a lot of differences and even within like Fafafina communities even within Fafa and Fatama communities there are differences because people will describe this as a gender thing only but it's a gender sexuality thing like you might claim Fatama and be in kind of like western colonial framings of gender is cisgender binary female but claim Fatama because you are gay and or queer and or lesbian and or bisexual and have like particular kinds of gender expressions or not have those gender expressions as well and kind of like conform to what people expect from kind of people who are 
assigned female. You know, you have this external naming, mm. right? It, this 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 colonial naming that creates you know a, a binary under a heteropatriarchy uh, that influences then the way that people have had to you know respond. But mm. you know, as you've demonstrated, you have this like immensely robust uh, reality that has all these other genders that exist um, on their own terms. And so I'm wondering, well, like, how does this play out within climate justice? So there are a number of ways in which this plays out. There was this point that I kind of wanted to fit into my thesis, but I didn't quite manage to embed it in the way that I wanted to. And it was basically some people think that music unites everyone. Some people think that like climate change and climate injustice unites everyone. And then actually the thing about both of these things is that, yes, you can make connections through them. But there are also just as many other ways, if not more, in which they kind of divide and kind of splits various spaces, times, communities, etc. So on the point of climate injustice and climate violence, people do not experience this the same way. Like there are a number of stories and also papers that have been published, um, people's narratives that they'll have and carry with them of, for example, uh, lesbian couples not being allocated climate um, kind of extreme weather event resources because they're not seen as like a proper family in comparison to um, straight couples or at least people who can be perceived as a straight couple. And then also people being denied access to um, evacuation centres and climate shelters uh, on the basis of having gender expressions and or sexualities that people deem to be abhorrent or sins or wrong. And then also if there are tsunamis and kind of when people are being searched for, there are not enough resources to provide for everyone in a lot of instances and a lot of people will just stop looking for disabled people first because they'll be like oh well like they don't really matter as much anyway um it's more important that we look for the non-disabled people instead there are also a lot of stories and accounts of how in Samoa Fafafine will be the ones doing the rebuilding the rescuing of people and still be discriminated against even though they're doing the bulk of all of this labor in terms of kind of responding to and healing from climate crisis, in terms of like individual events, and then also as well as kind of like more wide scale things. And then also in terms of the decisions that get made about like which areas, which people should have access to programs and projects and resources that are intended to help people deal with climate violence Usually, for various reasons, the people in these positions do not come from Pacific disabled or Pacific gender sexuality divergent communities. And because of that, partially because of that, a lot of these particular needs will not get embedded in these programs. And then these communities will not be provided for in cyclones and hurricanes and tsunamis and 
further climate crises and extreme weather events. So people's lives are literally being lost due to this kind of barrier between what counts as epistemically valid and what doesn't. Well, in terms of the performances, in terms of dance, depending upon from which ethnic group and or village and or kind of like who's even running the space in the first place, the music is from, the dance is from, there will be very clear divisions between like the female performers and the male performers. And people have also mentioned, and I think also like I was kind of like, partially for my thesis I was kind of like trying to interview myself and talking about the experiences I've had in terms of like trying to decide which kind of dance I can do which kinds of dances you're allowed to do when depending upon how your body is classified by the people in the space people who are um for example it's not necessarily clear which side of the thing you're supposed to be on until you do it wrong and then people will make that very clear to you and a side note that I think kind of is interesting is that to some extent if you are fafafine um and kind of presents in the ways that are kind of stereotypically considered like conventionally feminine and normative it's sometimes kind of seen as all right for you to be dancing on the female side because it's kind of like oh well you know we can just kind of like indulge him it's fine which might be a misgendering or not depending upon which pronouns a person uses if you are fa'atama if you are fa'afa and you don't necessarily have the kind of stereotypical gender expressions that people would expect you to have um, for Afa, by the way, is a term that doesn't specify gender or sex or sexuality. So you could be for Afa and assigned male at birth. You could be for Afa and assigned female at birth. You could be for Afa and intersex. Like, there are lots of ways of embodying that space as far as I understand it from what my friends have told me, um, who are for Afa, then that might potentially be in Fafafina and Fatama spaces based on kind of the etymologies of those words and how they're used by people. Um, but yeah, for like the non-Fafafina communities, um, that is not something as far as I've experienced and heard about um, that seems to be as possible. And then going back to disability as well, one of the areas in which I think a lot of people kind of like tend to fall down in their analyses is highlighting the intense ableism this idea that you have to be well in this particular kind of way. You have to be able to serve in this particular kind of way. And that cuts out a lot of disabled communities. At the beginning, you, you mentioned that you do uh, identify as disabled. Yeah. But that term has, do you mind giving a little bit of that? Absolutely. So there are multiple ways in which disability can be framed. The two that tend to pop up most commonly, I think, in kind of like disability rights and disability justice spaces now are like 
the social construction model of disability and the justice model of disability. So what the social construction model of disability does is basically disability is a social construction. Like there is not disability amongst animals in the wild, in quotation marks. Disability is something that humans have created through making these inaccessible structures. And if we just change all of the structures, then there would be no more disabled people anymore because disability would, would not exist. And that is something that shows up a lot in mainstream equity spaces. And sometimes people are like, yeah, great. I like this model. That's fine. Although as far as my experience has been, most disabled people are against that model, even if their form of disability kind of does partially align to some extent with that framing. The disability justice framing, however, incorporates some of the social construction model, but also adds into this as well. There are some disabilities that will make things difficult for you, no matter whether like the structures of the society are changed. Like if you have chronic pain, you can have uh, kind of employment laws that like mean that if you need to take a rest, if you can't do something on a particular day, then you don't have to. You can just kind of look after yourself or have be in community with people who can help you do particular things and then come back after your pain has subsided but that doesn't mean that you don't have chronic pain anymore like it will still be painful likewise if you have anxiety there are strategies there are tools that people can use to make the spaces in which they engage more understanding and more equitable but that doesn't mean that you can't experience panic attacks that doesn't mean that like the symptoms of anxiety become not real for you anymore the reason why I claim disability and there are various reasons why I didn't do this previously is I was diagnosed through like biomedical models um with Asperger's syndrome which is now just kind of like part of the wider um diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder it used to be kind of separate where you had like autism then Asperger's syndrome until people realized that actually no like they're forms of the same thing just like with different presentation of the symptoms basically. I have decided to use this in like to describe myself and also in my work because I think it does articulate a particular kind of action that establishments and institutions societies have taken to discriminate against disabled communities and to do violence against disabled people more widely and kind of it's a testament kind of like a note to state that although my experiences with ableism have in the grand scheme of things not been terrible I still through the experiences that I have had with ableism have an understanding of what is going wrong and where and how that can be changed. Although this is a discussion that I've had with a number of people. There are some people who kind of like, quote, in quotation marks, fit the criteria for being disabled, but then feel kind of hesitant to claim that term to use for themselves because they're like, I'm not 
sure whether I count as like disabled enough to actually use that term to describe myself because if I do call myself disabled and other people have had much worse experiences than I have um then it's kind of like I'm misrepresenting the community to people and being like oh well being disabled is not that bad and like I'm not gonna tell people like you have to use this term or like you have to not use this term like it is like kind of an individual like choice that people can make disability again because it's in English has this particular like kind of genealogy of like these people are lesser have been categorized as lesser and there are multiple models in a lot of indigenous cultures for talking about people who are considered disabled in kind of like colonial frameworks but because of a lot of things a lot of people do not have access to these anymore so what we've kind of started doing or kind of continued doing as a community is collecting up these stories where we can kind of find them or kind of trying to go through our creation narratives and being like oh this here sounds like it could be a metaphor for this and kind of like trying to sound it out that way as well as considering the ways in which we engage with the world now and being like if we have these kinds of skills what would those have been used for previously and kind of making connections like that is there any examples that you have that you could share of those Yes, <laughs> so something that autistic people are very often known for and kind of stereotyped as having is like these very intense interests and focuses on particular topics. And generally speaking, I mean, obviously there is like this saying, like if you've like met one autistic person, you've only met one autistic person, like because everyone's kind of particular kinds of presentations are very, very different. But that being said, being an autistic person and like knowing quite a few autistic people and having read the stories of many further autistic people, I think one thing that does probably tie us almost, almost all of us together is having intense fixations on particular topics. And that is something that a lot of our families can get very annoyed at us for doing <laughs> for various reasons. Um, but alongside kind of the annoyance we can potentially cause um people who are neuronormative uh, and or ourselves because we don't all have the same interests in the same topics it can be something that's very useful and one of uh the people i know who is um maori and takatapui and also neurodivergent was kind of talking to me about and i think this is referenced somewhere in my thesis and or maybe like another journal article um was saying is that like because we have these focuses we also can absorb like a lot of information about these very specific topics and so part of the thing that we can do is like have kind of much kind of greater memory capacities for these topics than a lot of people would otherwise have if they're neuronormative and one of the things that you can use that for is in navigation so in terms of remembering chance in terms of remembering how to get to place in terms of the stories that accompany particular constellations and which path you're supposed to follow when and then also in terms of like creation chance in terms of genealogies like who was descended from whom like 
the particular charts like I mean the ones that I'm thinking of at the moment are like oily but like there are also other kinds of chants that go on for hours and hours in other kinds of indigenous cultures the particular people who would have been memorizing those in order to memorize <laughs> the massive length of that I mean it is possible for neuronormative people to do as well like you do have some skills um but it's much easier to do I think if you have particular kinds of neurodivergence that allow for you to contain and compress all of that information so you can just kind of reel it off like this no I, I love that just because when you think about specialists of old and and even yeah. contemporarily right yeah. like um like you said you know you can learn it and you can develop it but if you have that divergence, yeah. right, that setting apart actually, right, allows you to um, master something because of, lack of better words, the, the obsessive yeah. kind of focus on that. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think that's a really great way of, you know, rethinking specialists, um, even, you know, Tohunga or Tufunga or, or the like across, right, is, is would have fit within this mm. um, kind of neurodiversity. With, with the capacity that you're mentioning and also you know i think I mean, and this is just my my impressions at the moment but when i think about these specialists in a variety of of contexts even in my own um the what we might call either neurodivergent or even gender divergent sometimes both at the same time often in my mind were the specialists <laughs> um uh, or or medicine people um in in, in the context of, of my own uh, fuck up, up, up. but yeah. I have, I kind of observed that in other places too, and it, it to me it makes mm -hmm. sense. Not only for the capacity, but the that that setting apart within the the way you fit and not fit at yeah. the same time, because it's not to romanticize the yeah. past either, right? Like um, there there was a place, but mm -hmm. it also meant that sometimes that place was was marginal, mm -hmm. um, and and at the same time, you know that that allows you space at times to I don't know I think about research in that way is too like um you know I, I i dove into my caves to do my stuff and yeah and i was like man like part of me felt like oh you know about the, the introvert in me kind of re-emerged and i was like oh this is kind of nice <laughs> sometimes people give me anxiety i love people but you know <laughs> and uh being able to have that that uh, you know that moment to to specialize whether that's navigating i mean <laughs> that's pretty important stuff um, or you think about oratory and and the 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 need for precision, right? In in um, you know reciting genealogy and and so on and so forth. But no, I, I love that. talked about all these kind of realms of, of diversity and you know within the climate justice spaces that you're in and that you've done research with how how do we not leave anybody behind um, mm. in, in that process and I and I think one of the things that helps is not allowing hegemonic positions or the positions of power to go on invisible yeah. right so we can't assume those and you have this really great acronym CHEP um, <laughs> You know, when we use just one term, the you know, it can, might be for the sake of convenience. However, there's too many assumptions that can come out of that. And so we have to use as many as possible, like Pacific Queer Disabled, to, get, to at least indicate 
of wait a minute, we're talking about a, a, a variety of different things and try to narrow it a little bit more, but then also to to identify those in, oftentimes invisibilized norms or when you refer to normative, right? Like the way that certain things are presented as norm as the norm or, or normative. Um, so do you mind talking a little about CHEP? And yeah. why, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, part of it is about being able to identify power and, and the convenience of not having to say it all out at once. But I mean, that does have, that, at least for me, but you are the one that coined it. So um, do you mind talking a little bit about that? No, yeah, it's absolutely about that. So yeah, I basically, when I was doing research, I was trying to describe the conflation or assemblage of all of these privileges. And I got basically tired of saying and spelling cis het enabled parisex over and over and over again. So I was like, okay, there has to be some way of shortening this. And then I can't quite remember how I ended up with Chep. I think I kind of just moved around the letters over and over again. I'm just like, that sounds like something that I could probably use as an acronym. And then it just ended up being that one. So obviously like cis referring to people or like not obviously, like apologies if you like don't are not familiar with the languaging then I am explaining it to you now it's just because I've been in these spaces for so long I'm just like well of course it means this but actually no of course it doesn't necessarily mean this and actually there are lots of politics around what counts as cisness and what doesn't like there are non-binary people who are cis there are non-binary people who are trans there are people who otherwise refer to themselves as women but don't quite identify as cis will kind of be like cis-ish cis generally speaking expanded out into its kind of full term cisgender um, refers to people whose gender identities and sex assignments at birth basically match up so if you were assigned male at birth and you identify as male then like in that particular aspect I mean obviously there are lots of other community affiliations that could cause lots of issues for you um, but at least in that particular aspect of things things seem to line up for you likewise if you are assigned female at birth and then you identify as female then like that also is something that can make it easier for you to navigate particular spaces in terms of cis intersexness I'm obviously not the best person to comment on this. I mostly have not seen intersex people who are intersex and like who identify as having like intergender identities identifying as cis. There are probably people out there who do, but I personally have not got any experience with this happening. So cis, generally speaking, in the spaces that I've been in has also referred to binary gender sex as well. Um, in terms of hetero kind of expanding out to most people think that hetero expands out to heterosexual that's not necessarily the case so that can also be like hetero romantic so having romantic attractions to as well as or just depending upon because people can experience romantic attraction without experiencing sexual attraction and vice versa to people of a different gender and or sex than the one that you are, which often follows the pattern of like female, male, and kind of through that binary framework, but doesn't always. Like there are people in, for example, heterosexual relationships where one person is 
binary gender identified and someone is non-binary and then that is still a form of heterosexuality because it's different to your own gender and vice versa um in terms of enabled the reason why this is enabled and not able although there are lots of people who are disabled who kind of use abled instead of enabled for various reasons i mean partially abled is just shorter but like i personally prefer using enabled to mark the ways in which societal structures literally enable people who are non-disabled to do things in ways that disabled people are disabled from doing them and then perisex again referring to um not being intersex and the reason why all of these are smushed together is because of the reason why pacific queer disabled is smushed all together like it's not like communities that have multiple marginalizations and or multiple privileges all get along with each other just because you have multiple marginalizations or multiple privileges like if you are in for example pacific queer and or gender sexual divergent spaces it's not like there is an ableism in those spaces if you are in pacific disabled spaces it's not like there isn't sexism homophobia queerphobia transphobia in those spaces either so the reason why I wanted to mark out all of them is because I think there is this particular power or set of powers that people have within the communities that kind of have all of these kinds of privilege can enact and embody and use to the detriment of a lot of people who don't have those privileges. And if one of those or you don't have kind of multiple kinds of the aforementioned privileges, that's not a particular kind of habitus that you can really embody. Yeah, well, the, the whole planet, right, is dealing with the issues of the climate crisis. Yeah. Um, and, and you're dealing with this marginal space. However, within it, you have all these things that are also at play. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that, that's what's really great about your work is just helps, I don't know if it complicates the right word, it just uh, maybe reveals the complexity that has always you know, been present, um, but isn't always uh, talked about or, or as well known. You know, I'm wondering, I know I've had you for a little bit, so we'll wrap it up here. Two last things, yeah, and, and we'll keep it at that. One, just because uh, it has come up in the, on the podcast in the past, right, is um, Dabaism, yeah. um, or, and uh, I know you use some of that um, critically as well within your, within your work, and I'm wondering if you mind you know, talking a little bit about how that plays out in regards to thinking about Pacific queer disabled climate justice. Starbiasm is something that like, I really gravitated towards and liked in my research and also in other spaces as well, because I liked how it marked out the interconnectedness of time and space in particularly Tongan and Samoan, but particular spaces that I was kind of trying to analyze and this is definitely something that um, Divita has gone through with you before <laughs> on here in terms of how space is not just space and time is not just time. Like Sa in Samoan, like it also like refers to like carrying out particular actions, particularly in terms of markings of Sa on people's skin. So even within kind of like time, there is this physical embodiment of what time means, how time passes, how time embodies itself. And likewise with va, yes, it refers to like spaces between things, between people that are active space, that are relationships, but also 
in order for these relationships to take place like they have to take place through temporal channels so it just made a lot of sense to me um for various reasons and then also the reason why I used it kind of within these particular spaces was because or time spaces rather was to mark out the ways in which power and as well kind of descent manifested through temporal spatial locations and channels so for example in terms of the way that particular hymns and dances and songs were done there was kind of like the standardized way of doing them but then you would also see people kind of breaking from like in theory what you were supposed to be doing by singing in a different voice part than the one that would be otherwise kind of assumed to be the one that you would occupy based on the perception of your gender sexuality and then also people doing different kinds of movements people kind of breaking away from particular spaces and coming back again people singing songs at different tempos so there is this theory of unity but then if you actually look at what's going on it's very very messy and sometimes it can be really nice but then also there are ways in which kind of violence can play out in terms of like who counts as mess and who counts as doing the right thing there were also aspects of you know like what counts as harmonious what counts as disharmonious for different kinds of people different kinds of bodies And I'd also argue different like kind of ethno-racial categorizations as well in terms of expecting less aggression in quotation marks and kind of more politeness also in quotation marks from particular groups, depending upon whether you were seen as fitting or not. And the conclusion that I think I came to in a discussion with kind of people involved in this research was like all the time there will be harmony and disharmony occurring it's just a matter of like for whom this is harmonious for whom this is disharmonious and then what the consequences of that are like disharmony can have ethical ends and harmony can have oppressive ends depending upon how people are categorizing what is kind of like proper structure and what isn't you know while you're focused on looking at um all the things that are playing out within these performances. And oftentimes these performances, like you've mentioned, could include um, chants to Christian hymns. Yet there's the the music that doesn't make it on the front lines, if you will. <laughs> um, and that's what you called um, Afa music. And I'm wondering if you mind talking a little bit about that because um, I'm all, what I really liked about that is kind of the, the behind the scenes stuff, right? There's the way we present and, and that can be very important and powerful and significant. But then there's also like the everyday kind of stuff or or the backbone stuff, if you will, that maybe doesn't make it into the forefront. That is what carries people. And so I'm wondering if you mind sharing a little bit about um, what, what Afa music means to you and how it plays out within climate justice. Yeah. So originally I didn't actually end up looking, uh, start off looking at Afa music. I was like, these are the performances that people do in the spaces and that's it. But 
obviously there are also like other kinds of music that people use when they're traveling on their way to places when they're traveling back from actions when you're like painting the banners that you're going to use the next day and then you kind of listen to music in the background while you're doing that and talking with people about like oh I think we should do this or just like gossiping about stuff as well um and then there is the music that people use in spaces before they officially open them up there's the music that people just kind of like exchange between each other being like oh yeah like I heard this like really like amazing track from this person like you should listen to this and then it like gets shared in the group chat and then it's like oh we should use it here and then those kinds of kind of transfers and exchanges those are I found just as important if not more so in sustaining pacific climate justice activism because of the ways in which people can express themselves and kind of be heard and understood and seen and can connect with people in ways that are often not possible in the very very public spaces that tend to be like the forward kind of face fronting kind of like performances that people use as like this is a representation of the pacific community because these kinds of musics and arts and exchanges are not being subject to this has to represent the entire community at all times there is a lot more freedom in these spaces than the kind of very highly regulated ones that are like the demonstrations and the marches and originally it wasn't called Afa music either so like thank you to you and Kirsten who are like you can't call it what was it like edge musical peripheral music or something because it's not actually on the edges and then also that brings up questions about like what do you deem to be the center and what do you deem to be the edge and why is that it really is Afa music Afa is a term that I got from the scholarship of Ayono Fanafi Litsangaloa who is a Samoan scholar and writer and did lots of things and she published this book called Omutunga Afa so kind of like pieces of or like yeah kind of like fragments of Afa and Afa she kind of describes in there as being like obviously the the rope the sonnet that is woven from um coconut husk but also something that connects generations and fale and is used to like literally to voyage between particular places so as well as it having this kind of like concretely physical manifestation it has all of this embodied metaphor and temporal and philosophical um connection through it as well and that's what these kinds of music do with this space and then also with community networks more widely that binding music yeah. Um, right that fills in all that and it kind of uh reminds me of um i think it was like simon frith one of the you know yeah. pop, popular music scholars and he talked about pop music you know because everybody was like ripping on it it's like you know but sometimes pop music gives you the energy you need to go on and, and mm. fight the next day yeah and so related you know but a little bit different um as well but so i, I love how you used that and brought in the afa to talk about what is it that carries people because yeah oftentimes we have to spend so much time thinking about how we're going to be in that front facing space like you mentioned and there's you know reason good reasons for that um but what is it that carries you and that carries that um so i'm glad that you you emphasize that any last minute thoughts um on your research or messages you want to send out to the universe first thing uh hi everyone um <laughs> second of all 
<laughs> oh yeah and also like if people have like further questions about any of this like I'm very open to people contacting me as well like you want to know more about like particular topics or like I've explained things in ways that are very confusing and you would like more kind of like different kinds of explanations or like sources or like other stuff to engage with and then secondly um because I cannot end this without mentioning Fred Mosin when you were talking about like how people um kind of connect and get through things I vaguely remember him engaged in this Q&A and I cannot remember for the life of me which talk he was at but someone was asking him you know how do we change these spaces and then he was like well on the one hand like there are lots of these actions you can kind of do and like there are ways in which like you can be kind of very focused on like the kind of strategies that you're using but he was also saying like if you think about how many blocks and barricades there are in terms of like us just hanging out and being together that in and of itself is very very important so yeah just that hanging out's a radical act yeah let's do more of it yeah. uh awesome thank you so much Hey.